I'm Lauren Berry, and this is Odyssey's On Deadline podcast, where you get a closer look at top news stories out of our radio newsrooms across the country. Today's edition of On Deadline focuses on the mysterious death of a top Russian military official who staged a rebellion this summer against Russian Federation President Vladimir Putin. When Yevgeny Prigozhin eventually backed down, most thought it wouldn't end well for him. Because, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, when you strike at a king, you must kill him. Now Putin is still alive, and Yegevny Prigozhin is dead from an explosive plane crash outside of Moscow. He was the leader of the Wagner Group, Russia's top mercenary unit, and a former ally of Putin's. Former is the key word. The two seemingly grew apart, and the relationship was capped off by the aborted rebellion earlier this summer. On June 23rd, Prigozhin led the Wagner Group in a march on Moscow after accusing the country's defense ministry of shelling Wagner soldiers and using them in the most dangerous parts of Ukraine. On the way to Moscow, the group captured a major city, but ended the mutiny less than 48 hours after it started. And then the world waited, because few thought that Putin, a man known to punish people even over small slights, would just let it go. Prigozhin's death was confirmed through DNA testing. And Putin released a statement about it where he praised the work that Prigozhin did, but he also added that Prigozhin, quote, made serious mistakes in his life, end quote. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland joined Odyssey on the West Coast to discuss Prigozhin's death. He outlined other cases that show what happens to people who land on Putin's naughty list and what might happen to his war effort in Ukraine without this former ally turned enemy. I've tracked this for a while from the beginning of this war, and at one time, I was up to about 12 people, either oligarchs, some military guys, who had met untimely demises. One guy fell out of a six-story window at a hospital. Most hospitals, I thought, had sealed windows. Another guy who the FSB said committed suicide by shooting himself seven times. So uh, these kind of accidents and incidents are kind of the portfolio of Vladimir Putin, which has been the way he has done things throughout the years. He's had people assassinated. Uh, he has used nerve agents to kill uh, people who were, who were former members of the KGB who had fled to Great Britain. He had co- tried to kill, of course, Navalny by putting poison in his underwear. He, there have been guys who've been killed by swallowing drinks that had radioactive isotopes. So this has been part and parcel of how Mr. Putin has sought revenge on those who he thinks are disloyal to him. So uh, we know that Wagner was sort of a mercenary group, sort of a behind-the-scenes diplomacy, if you will, in Africa. So what replaces that now? Well, that's a very good question. I think that's where the greatest impact is going to be, Eric, is going to be in Africa. And shortly after this attempted mutiny by Rogozin, uh, there were reports that senior members of the Russian Ministry of Defense had gone to Africa <clears throat> to try to make sure that they could assume command and control of those Wagner forces that are operating in places like Libya, Central African Republic, Mali, etc., and this particular shooting down of this aircraft or bombing it one or the other was not only appointed, I think, in killing Prigozhin, but also was basically decapitating the Wagner group because not only was Prigozhin killed ostensibly, but Dmitry Utkin, who was basically the military commander of Wagner, was killed, and several other leading members of the Wagner group were all killed. They've taken out the leadership. And so now what the Kremlin will likely do or appears to be doing, frankly, is creating a new paramilitary organization of a different color. There are several already created in Russia uh, and use that as a vehicle to maintain and continue their operations of doing in Africa, which is very profitable 
for the Kremlin based on blood, diamonds, gold, oil, etc. And they also know is a good example of hybrid warfare where they can cause disruptions and social unrest in those areas, which irritates the West, number one, and number two, probably motivates more and more refugees heading into Europe, which obviously, from the Kremlin's perspective, may give them more leverage in getting the Europeans to halt their support for the war in Ukraine. Now that Prigozhin is dead, many have wondered what will become of the Wagner Group, especially since the mercenary leaders number two was also with him on the plane. They were considered integral to carrying out some of Putin's dirtiest dealings, including interference in the 2016 U.S. election and what PBS termed brutal atrocities in Africa, Syria, and Ukraine. The mutiny raised new questions about the strength of Putin's grip on Russia as the war in Ukraine drags on. Putin ordered the Wagner members to sign an oath of loyalty last week. Still, the group's fate remains unclear. To discuss what might happen to the mercenaries Prigozhin left behind, Sean McFate, a professor at the National Defense University in Washington, D.C., joined Odyssey. I think it's somewhat reasonable to connect some dots. It, you know, it looks like Putin destroyed Prigozhin in a very Bond villain way, blowing up his airplane uh, with him and Dmitry Ukin, who is the actual founder of the Wagner Group, to send a powerful message to internally in Russia, which is, if you're going to come at the king, then you best not miss, and also to the world, to get the whole world talking about it, which is what we're doing, that, you know, he's back in charge and he's won. That description, that Bond villain, that just really strikes a chord with me. So how does this impact uh, the Wagner Group? That's a great question. So I I think it it actually doesn't impact them. The better way to think about the Wagner Group is, I think of them like if they're like a corporation, and you have a new buyer, and the new buyer comes in and, and removes the leadership team, the C-suite, and is going to replace the C-suite, but the rank and file are going to continue generally doing what they're doing. There might be some rebranding, some you know moves here and there, but largely I don't think this will impact Wagner operations in Ukraine or in Africa. So within Putin's leadership circle, what message are they getting? I'm assuming their antenna are up for this. Yeah, I think a lot of people expected something like this would happen. I mean, let's not forget that Putin is a very Machiavellian, old-school dictator with a vendetta streak. I mean, he, a couple of years ago, he, he assassinated this former KGB spy living in the United Kingdom with his daughter, who also got assassinated, because of some slight he did in the late 1980s. I think everybody would have been surprised if Pergosian's taunting went unanswered and unchallenged. So I think this was expected. In the role of world bond villain, did Putin order the explosion that killed Prigozhin? President Joe Biden weighed in, saying, there's not much that happens in Russia that Putin's not behind, but I don't know enough to know the answer. Don Jensen, a senior advisor of Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace and a former diplomat at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, told Odyssey that there is evidence pointing to the Kremlin being responsible. The circumstantial evidence is overwhelming that the Kremlin is responsible. There's just uh, a lot of weird things in the circumstances leading up to it, how they handled it. Um, Almost certainly, I think, that, that the Kremlin did order his demise. And I would point out that his number two and number three were also on the same plane. And so this is a way Putin thinks, I believe, that he could take care of a political problem, which is the fact that 
He was shown to be weak and uh, humiliated, frankly. This solves the problem perhaps for now, but there's a lot of other ripples already starting around Wagner, the group, and frankly, a political role in the system that Putin plays. So we have to see. Want to talk more about those ripples, but I also want to ask you, what do you make about the Kremlin just coming out and saying, that's an absolute lie? <laughs> well, they do lie, don't they? As, as they say on TV, they would say that, wouldn't they? No, no, everybody thinks that the Kremlin is responsible, period. There's no very little doubt that they aren't. And I'll give you an example. Usually when an unexpected accident like this happens, the Kremlin talking heads on TV wait for their guidance from the Kremlin. That sometimes takes a half a day or a day. So this time it was ready to go as soon as the news was reported. So they were prepared. I think there's no doubt that the Kremlin is responsible. Do you expect any more uprisings against uh, Russia's military leadership? I mean, you know, this uh, assumed assassination probably put some people off. I think... There is going to be trouble of some sort. Putin thinks he's stomped it out now, but but there's all sorts of problems in the Russian armed forces. Bad commanders, not enough supplies, weapons that don't work, uh, brutal treatment of soldiers. Yes, Russia's army can take a lot historically, and it's taking a lot of suffering right now, but I would expect there will be trouble down the road. People like me are paid for trying to anticipate where that trouble will be, and it's not quite clear yet. But I think we're now in, in a new phase of the Putin regime where it's going to be likely uh, much more brittle as well, but also much more brutal as well. The opposition to the war and to Putin is not from people who want peace. It's from people who want Putin to be tougher on Ukraine. And so people like Prigozhin, people like the people who supported him, and what they call the turbo-patriots, on the, what's called the far right of the political spectrum there, they are unhappy with Putin because he's not brutal enough, and there's, there's no peace movement. And it was yet to be shown that what happened this week will calm their criticism of the Russian president, calm their unhappiness with, with how the, uh, the troops have been used. And frankly, some of them do want to use nukes, I have to tell you that. Sometimes the Kremlin talks about nuke use as a public diplomacy strategy, but there are some real crazy guys out there running around him in Russia. And I think you have to keep an eye on them. They're not in power. They're not the most influential. But there's definitely there. And Putin is quite obviously uh, aware of them and tries to kind of head them off at the pass by doing some things that they might like. So he's always maneuvering among these various clans and groups. Since Russia invaded Ukraine at the start of 2022, there have been hundreds of thousands of casualties. In total, the United States estimates that more than 42,000 civilians, 70,000 Ukrainian soldiers, and 120,000 Russian soldiers have lost their lives as a result of the fighting in Ukraine. The U.S. continues to provide military aid to Ukraine as the invasion drags on. Information about the nation's support of Ukraine and ways to help those impacted by the conflict are available through the State Department at travel.state.gov. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to the On Deadline podcast, Odyssey's deeper look at a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed. 